I was on a similar trajectory as my siblings had done in their early years to, you know, what had been going on with my family before they got sober. And the practice became my lifeline. I mean, it was the first time, I think, in my life where I was in my body. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 414. Today, we're talking about the yoga of parenting with Sarah Ezrin. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. I am so glad you're here. My friend, I hope you are subscribed and I hope that you have left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you've ever gotten anything from this podcast because it just makes such a big, big difference. And I really do thank you in advance from the bottom of my heart. I really, really appreciate it. Today, I'm going to be talking to Sarah Ezrin, a world-renowned yoga educator, content creator, mama, and the author of The Yoga of Parenting based in the San Francisco Bay Area. And Sarah says that without a doubt, the most advanced yoga I've ever done is raising a child. And we're going to talk in this conversation about balancing strength with sweetness, how to bring more prana or life force energy into your life as a parent, and the yoga tools that can help, including mantras to keep us grounded. So join me at the table as I talk to Sarah Ezrin. The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her Triggered to Transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Hunter. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to talk about the yoga of parenting. And as we were just discussing, like this podcast back in the very beginning in 2013, it's called the Yoga Stories Project. So there's a root of all of that together in it. And I love, um, you know, your book, The Yoga of Parenting, goes through 10 yoga-based practices to help you stay grounded. Love that. I love that. But let's like I, when I when, whenever we talk about parenting, I love the idea of like contrasting what we're doing now, kind of what was before. So maybe we can start with you and and how are you raised and, and what is your child? What did your childhood look like? Um, well, first of all, again, I just want to thank you so much for all that you do in the parenting community. And I know I said it to you before we started rolling, but like, you know, raising good humans is like it, it was such an important resource for me for both of my sons. So I just am just really grateful for you and all that you've done. And, and I love that you come from yoga too, because it was like, I'm like, uh, that's how I knew I found my people. So thank you for everything. <laughs> I wish my parents had had your book. You know, I love my, I, I have a wonderful relationship with my family, but I grew up in a pretty explosive household. Um, you know, I am, um, uh, there's a lot of alcoholism and, and addiction and um, a lot of shifting you know, my dad likes to say like the floor was always moving, um, family structure was always changing. And, um, you know, for a little girl nervous system, it, it was really hard to kind of feel grounded and safe, you know, hence my subtitle, like being like, this is my my life's work, right? How do I feel grounded? Um, you know, and there was a lot of love. There was that through line of love, but there was a lot of upheaval as well. Um, and so I, 
was introduced to therapy at a really young age. I started going to therapy when I was eight years old. I was actually misdiagnosed as having bipolar disorder, put on a slew of medications. And, you know, interestingly, I mean, you know, as you know, as being a psychologist, as I was the identified patient, that it was really what was going on in the bigger household. Um, so, you know, the benefit of what came out of that was, first of all, it planted a seed for me in psychology that's become a lifelong mm-hmm. love affair. Um, in B is that it it brought my family into therapy, it, you know, because everybody was like, oh, why is she acting out? Let's mm-hmm. all focus on her. Um, but then, you know, all the, the therapists and the psychologists and the psychiatrists were like, well, let's let's start bringing all of you in. And um, and everybody really started this journey of self-inquiry and you know, a lot of them, some got sober, some got sober a little later, um, but it really wow. opened up an opportunity for the family to start to kind of find their footing in a more stable-ish way. I'll never say fully stable because, you know, that's just human beings. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was definitely tumultuous, but um, but I will say that through line of love, thank goodness, was, you know, there may not have been a floor underneath me, but there was always mm. a thread of love that connected me and, and all of us. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I just want to say I'm not a psychologist, so I just oh, sorry. Make, make that clear. But um, but yeah, I can. That sounds like such a positive outcome, right? Like that you were struggling and there was a lot of struggle around you and then your parents took your struggles and that and helped and through helping you ended up helping many people in the family. That's like an incredible outcome for that. Yeah. And yeah. And I think. I mean, I think something that we're trying to do different generationally and, you know, at least, you know, what I glean from your book and what I'm hoping I can encourage people from mine is to look at what our role in it, because I think so much was externalized. And, you know, we especially in parenting, it was like, well, your kid is acting out because your kid is being bad, as opposed to taking a step back and being like, what's what's my role in this? What's the bigger picture? And, you know, that that moment of consciousness, that moment of mindfulness um, mm-hmm. So, you know, and yeah, I mean, it's it, it it all turned out in the end. But yes, it was uh, it was an interesting beginning. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, that's that's really interesting. So when you got in, interested in yoga, how, how did you get interested in yoga? I there was actually kind of a joke. I was 19 and in college and my dad sent me a VHS like full on, you know, uh, and it was these two amazing teachers that are still very well known and respected. Wait, wait, wait. Today. Now, was it the Rodney Yee VHS? I I had the Rodney Yee VHS, the one with the abs. The where it was like Rodney's abs, where like he would do like, which I still can't do. Jatari part of Ritanasana, where you take your legs to the side. I still can't do that. It was actually Tracy Rich and Ganga White and oh. of the White Lotus Foundation. And it was just a it was a vinyasa video. But he had sent it to me more like, you know, oh, you're getting older. You got to take care of yourself, which is, you know, hilarious now at 41. I'm like, yes, OK, at 19. Uh, <laughs> but I uh, we just fell in love. Me and my roommate, who also has become a lifelong yoga teacher, like, mm. you know, it was a gag gift and we put it in and we were like ready to make fun of it. And before we knew what we were doing, we were moving our coffee to ta- our spinning coffee table, you know, because it was 2001. <laughs> moving our spinning coffee table and our trundle beds and doing all the poses and, and, you know, the breath. And we were both just like hooked from that first moment on. It was really incredible how, you know, something, something that was meant to be silly changed the entire trajectory of my life. That's so interesting. It was there. Did it help you in any way? Did it have any benefits kind of in that sort of first year of VHS yoga? Yeah. I mean, you know, So my family, as I was explaining, you know, things were tumultuous. They got a little bit more leveled out as my mom got sober and my dad got sober and my siblings got sober and all of that. But I then went into the teenage years where I did not. Right. I went the other direction um, where I was exploring. And when I was in college, it was pretty um, ungrounded, you know, as is the theme of my life. So by exploring, is that a euphemism for I was partying, like I was drinking and smoking a lot of pot and that kind of thing? Oh, uh, I, I was doing a lot or, more than that. But or yes. more than that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, much so, more. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I graduated high school in 1999. So I'm, I'm really grateful that we don't have the, like what teenagers are going through oh, right yeah. now with like everything being laced with fentanyl. Like, thank goodness I didn't have to go through that. But 
um, yeah, it was it had fa- it had gone away from drinking and and smoking pot and into the hard drugs and um, you know was definitely I was on a similar trajectory as to a lot of my you know what my siblings had done in their early years to um, you know what had been going on with my family before they got sober and the the VHS and the practice became my lifeline. I mean, it was the first time I think in my life where I was in my body. You know, I I had I was medicated as a young girl. I was, you know, misdiagnosed. And so I was being treated inaccurately when re- really I the accurate diagnosis was anxiety. Um, but, you know, so it was all these things that were kind of dissociative, you know, um, in in the very, very early years when things were explosive, I would dissociate in other ways, whether it was story or, you know, in my head. And then as a teenager, I was using drugs, you know, drinking and drugs and the yoga practice. And also, you know, I had meditated very briefly at 12. My um, therapist who got me correctly diagnosed, got me off all the medication. She taught me meditation. So I, I didn't know what I was doing, but she had started teaching me visualization meditation. So I'd had a glimpse, but then it was moving my body at 19. You know, I'm sure we like lit up a cigarette five seconds after, you know, but uh, in those 15 minutes that we were moving and breathing, it was the first time I felt a hole in myself. Um, mm. I'd never felt that before. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I, I can relate completely like the. I mean, for me, I discovered yoga in, in college, but it was it was more like I was so flexible that it was like, oh, mm. I can do these like, look how high my leg can go. Um, but like for me, it was like running by myself, sort of like down a path by a creek, like this idea of just being in my body being myself, being with my breath, moving, feeling my blood pumping, all of that, you know, that is such a, I mean, you talk about being grounded, you know what I mean? Like that's such a grounding, grounding thing to to get you out of your, um, yeah, get you out of your, your head, your anxiety. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcast right after this break. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch. And I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Rituals Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. You know, something I I point out in the book that you make a good point of is like, yoga really is about connection and, you know, that, that stilling of the mind. So whether it's running or flying or, you know, rolling around on the ground or cooking or gardening, these, whatever those paths may be that bring you into yourself, like that becomes the yoga practice. So you're running in some ways. I don't know if you would consider it, but, you know, that was, that was your meditation. Yeah, I definitely, it was like a, a, a pre-meditation. I, I kind of think like there's like activities that are like 
someone said this to, I think it, I forget who it was, maybe it might have been Chris Willard, but the idea of like pre-mindfulness, kind of like pre, mm. pre-algebra, right? Like pre-mindfulness, like it was a pre-mindfulness activity in some way. Um, and you you write in your book about how your your yoga, your yoga was something that really healed you in a lot of ways, but then you also took some of some of your own challenges and stuff and kind of channeled it into your yoga, right? Like there was like a desire to be to really kind of take it to an extreme. Do can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. And uh I overcorrected, <laughs> if you will. I caught that, you know, that one moment of feeling really good after class and then suddenly the addictive personality kicked in in the other direction. Um, it's worth mentioning, too, that I, you know, my eating disorder that, you know, I've had like lifelong body dysmorphia, but I um, I was severely anorexic in college. So by the time I graduated, um, I almost actually was hospitalized, but I, I ended up being able to do yoga and an outpatient program and those things were healing for me, but I started to use the yoga in the opposite direction. Unfortunately, what was this healing safe space for me very quickly became another thing that I became obsessed with. It, you know, I was good at it. So in, I hadn't really been good at anything physical in my life. I mean, I was always into dancing, but I, you know, I was never like never ran track. I like literally ditched PE in fifth grade. Like, n- no lie. I was like, I didn't even know what ditching was. And I was like, I'm not doing this. So it was, you know, where did you go in fifth grade? I went in the bathroom and then I had this other little girl in there with me and she got in big trouble. It was probably like two days that I did it. But I just I didn't want to go run a track and like do which is hilarious because now like I like am like happily like doing jumping jacks, you know. But I, I had never I was always in my head. I was always, you know, I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to write. Um, But, you know, I was good at it. And I think, you know, similar to you, I was pretty hypermobile and. So that kind of, you know, that that triggered something in me, too, where I started to get really competitive. I chose a style of yoga that was, you know, a very dedicated practice. It can be very rigid. I fell into the Ashtanga yoga system, which Mm -hmm. is a six day a week practice. Sometimes, you know, it's a two hour practice. Um, And, you know, I just I took it to the extreme for a really long time. Um, And, you know, but I like. I mean, it, it, uh, it's like as I st- as I stopped using illicit substances, I started to use my yoga as my as my drug for a long time. Yeah, I, I could see how that would happen. Ashtanga is a really for the listener who doesn't know. It's like kind of like um, it's a preliminary. It is like kind of one of the first vinyasa practices, meaning like kind of a vigorous practice, um, you know, is made up by uh, a guy not too long ago. It's not, it's not thousands of years old. It's, it's, you know, more like a hundred and hundred years old maybe, but anyway, something like that. But yeah, Ashtanga is really fascinating because when I did my yoga teacher training, I have my own story about Ashtanga is that I, and my ego and all that is that, you know, I, um, I was, I drove up to my yoga teacher training, which was about a five hour drive away from me. And it was a month long intensive that where we lived there. And, um, I, Got there, and the first class was the Ashtanga Primary Series, which yes. Sarah knows has a <laughs> lot of forward folds, and it's like forward fold after forward fold after forward fold. And I had inherited, I have inherited a long back from my father, and it had a tendency to hurt sometimes, like if I wasn't taking care of it. And after a five hour drive, I was really kind of stiff, but I was like, I am fine. Look, I am here in front of these teachers that I will be teaching in front of. I have to show them how flexible I am. I was all full of ego. And I did this primary series. Like I got out of the car and did a primary series after five hours of driving. And I basically like pulled some stuff in my lower back, like before a month long <laughs> intense teacher training. On day intensive. one. Day, day one, like half first half hour of day one. <laughs> and, and but it was this great teacher because it really I taught me a lot. It taught me how to practice while taking care of my back and like and it taught me a really big lesson about my ego but um but yeah we, so we have a joke in teacher training because you know I've, I've had the privilege to lead to, you know a lot of 200s all around the world and 300 hours too and it's in the beginning of the 200 everybody's like gung-ho they do everything they do every pose and then by the end of the 200 and really into the 300 suddenly everyone's like sitting on the side and just observing and you're like how is everybody injured <laughs> And, you know, at the end of the 200, 
the 200 is, you know, for those that don't know, is kind of like your like undergrad, you know, for yoga. Um, and, and the 300 would be like starting your master's, I guess. And you're like, why is everybody injured? Like, how is this happening? Like globally, right? You can go anywhere. I'm teaching in Beirut. It's the same thing. And I think it's because we start to tune into ourselves in a different way. You know, we get checked in a different way. It's much easier when you're a part of the world and you're running around and you're just taking a class three times a week to still be in your head, to still be planning your your job or your, you know, for the parents, like to still be thinking about other people. But when you're in those scenarios, especially what you did, the intensive, you're with yourself in this intimate way that many people haven't ever been in their life. And suddenly you're feeling things that like, almost feel new. And for you, I like, I understand like driving five hours and then doing a bunch of forward bends, like 1000%, like that's like easily correlate those two together. But there's some people that are suddenly like, they they think they suddenly develop a shoulder thing or suddenly their neck thing. And it just makes you wonder, you know, was that always going on? And now you're tuning into it in a different way? Or is it, is it coming up with the, the new, you know, approach to alignment? And now you're listening more kindly it's just always really fascinating that like teacher trainings and those kind of deep immersions can bring out that that level of awareness and, uh, and, and you know, introspection. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. It was after that, that I finally was able to meditate, too. So like it was all mm. all in all, all in all good. But but you so you dove into yoga. Then how did you come to realize like that your yoga was had become in some ways like something that was feeding, I mean, can I say it was like kind of like feeding like an ego, like you were like, you know, wanting to do more and more better and better kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, you know, full honesty and full disclosure, I wasn't, I think I thought that I was on the path to healing, you know, never mind the fact that like I was, you know, hadn't had my period in three years and, you know, which is amenorrhea, which is a common side effect of under eating. I, you know, would binge and purge most weekends, uh, you know, which was a, you know, that was a a form of my eating disorder, which was, you know, a part of bulimia. And it was like, but then Monday to Thursday, I would be online and, you know, like teaching everybody about self-care and like, you know, preaching in my classes and, you know, making sure people listen to their bodies. So I think there was definitely the disconnect for a while. I'm not sure I was really ready to look at it. Um, until I met my husband and I, Mm. you know, was, was forced to live with another person and had this mirror put in front of me. And, um, you know, when I moved from LA to San Francisco and then moving in with another person, I, I couldn't obsess in the same way. I just, I didn't have the energetic capability. You know, um, when I was living in LA, I would wake up every day at five and like, you know, do drive, to Hollywood from the West side, which, you know, just like literally like, you know, going like to two different cities. Um, but you know, when I was with him, I wanted to be with him and I, I enjoyed the mornings and, you know, I liked sleeping in a little bit and I found like, oh, okay, you know, so I don't fold as deep as, you know, when I stay up a little later with him, but it just started, things started to get a little looser. And then as I started to get more distance and, and I had a couple injuries that were pretty significant, that's when the mirror was really, really held to me about, okay, you really need to adjust something because this is unsustainable if you want to have a relationship and be in the world. Mm. And you write like about Stira Sukham, right? Like, can you tell us about that? Because I think that's really appropriate to kind of what you were just saying. Yeah. So, you know, one of it's 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 one of many texts, right? It's just one. There's many different lineages of yoga. There's the tantric lineage and Vedanta and and um, and the Yoga Sutras is just one book uh, in the Vedanta philosophy. But the Yoga Sutras tends to be the book that a lot of American 200 hours teach. So it's it's the book a lot of us may know. Um, and it's in that book. Patanjali is uh, who is believed to have um, uh, what's the word for it? Oh, there's a codified it because there's like there's like, did it come from the heavens? Did he actually write it? Was it like Shakespeare? Was there like 10 people? You know, there's all this lore around. He's it. like the Moses of yoga. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like it was like revealed. Uh, but he. So it's Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, and in there he discusses asana, which is the physical practice. And the the like one and only sutra that that talks about it says, you know, in Sutra two forty six, Virasuka Asanam, which means that asana, which translates to seat, is steady and sweet. So it's this idea that you know the physical postures are a balance of strength and the container, and then flexibility and spaciousness. 
Now, we in our Western minds took that and we're like, all right, like, let's go get really strong. <laughs> like, let's like do as much breathing as we can. Like, we forget that the following sutras are saying you have this steady container that has a room for space and a breathability so you can then sit for the breathing exercises, which is, you know, pranayama, which then prepares you to sit for meditation or premeditation, as you say, right? That's the dharana, then the deeper meditation, and then the sitting. It's, it's really about creating a container. But the container can be too harsh, right? You can have too much sthira. You can, you can have, like, that was kind of like my approach in those early days, too much yoga, too much, you know, emphasis on what my body was doing, too much austerity, not eating enough, you know, making your life very small and very rigid and not having enough sweetness. And you can also have too much sweetness, which is the other side, which is what we were talking about before we started, you know, where it's like, like, eh, you know, sure, you'll come over this time, this day, and then not giving you the time. And you're kind of, you know, there's like a loosey-goosey approach to it. And it feels like, you know, almost like um, there's like a leak of energy, you know, and and some, for that, never been me, but I, you know, I know people that are like that, like, yes, it'll get done. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that is like, but, you know, there's that side too. Um, and I think we need both. I mean, we need both in our physical bodies and in our practice, but we need both in our lives as well. We need the container and the structure, and then we need the space within that for things to move and to breathe and to grow and to expand. And I, I love how you take these ideas of like this balance of like strength and containment versus spaciousness and sweetness and apply it to parenting in the yoga parenting. So what prompted just what prompted you to to write it like what were your first days of parenting like and then what what made you then decide you wanted to write the yoga parenting I I mean I'm not and this is not just hyperbole and I'm not just like kissing kissing your bum here I I mean your book was incredibly inspiring for me Hunter and also Buddhism for young mothers those were those two books were like lifelines for me and but both of you were coming from a Buddhist perspective Right. And mm -hmm. and I was like, well, where's the yoga, the yoga version? Like, I want to hear and I know you have a yoga background as well, but I wanted to. And, you know, all the languaging was so beautiful and that it was all, you know, mindful parenting and mindful meditation. But I was like, but, you know, I feel like I, we're kind of missing this from our side a little bit, you know, for the yoga junkies. Like and it's it's so, so similar. So much of what we talk about is, you know, very similar. And, you know, there's a reason that they're the Dalai Lama calls them, you know, twin twin practices, Buddhism and, and um, Hinduism. But, you know, I I just was like missing that that kind of language. I was missing, you know, all the the texts that I had read. I was like, well, let's let's apply it to this, you know. Um, so I went to my teachers and I went to people that I revered and, you know, that that had done a lot of studying and, you know, that had been living long lives that were very, you know, yoga influenced and um, yoga informed, but who were also parents and very real. And I was like, tell me everything. Like, what do we do? Where where do I go from here? Um, and so it, it all started to kind of, you know, come out of that. What did you struggle with when you were, I mean, you're still a young mom. You're still, you know, your kids are <laughs> three and a half mom. and one. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I mean, I like so, said, right, like my coffee cup is big and my <laughs> bags are dark. Um, <laughs> but I love, you know, you have, you, you have a lot of like you're, you're gathering, it's almost like you're gathering this wisdom for yourself, right? Like you're just mm. like, you're like, let me translate all of this wisdom I have gathered from yoga from my life from from these you know from these texts from these teachers and i want to it's almost like it's like your own parenting guide for yeah for, yeah okay so one of the things you talk about right away is prana tell us yeah. about tell us about for someone who doesn't know what is prana and like why is this so important for you in your parenting journey right now with a three and a half year old and a one-year-old well, you know, as you asked to like, what was the early days like? And I think prana was the thing that was lacking all of my energy. I, I mean, I didn't have anything that I was doing that was nourishing for myself. So prana, you know, we we refer to prana. There's many different names for it. Some people, you know, some schools will call it chi. Others, you know, the um, I'm blanking on the other days right now, but there's many different names for this energy life force, right? Let's call it like a life force inside of us. And in the yoga tradition, we call that life force prana. 
it gets correlated a lot with breath, but they're they're actually two different things. Prana is more just like a conduit to our energy via our breath. Um, but we're believed to be born with a limited amount of prana. And our job as human beings in this world is that we're supposed to create that container, right, to find the right amount of container to help, you know, build it, to nourish it, that, you know, when we're, it's the amount of breaths that we're taking, it's lengthening moments, all those things. And as a new mom, I wasn't doing any of that. It was like, I was not nourished in any way. I was completely overwhelmed. I had no experience with children. I'd never changed a diaper before my first. He was a NICU baby and, you know, we hit the ground running. I had a really, you know, I don't want to, you know, it's just a really intense birth um, that had a lot of recovery involved in it, um, just like tearing and everything had to be used really like days long, you know, as is now I because like I like it was like it's intense. But now I like talk to people and it's kind of like that's just your first birth, I guess. But it um, it was, you know, it was shocking for me. It doesn't matter how many birth stories I listened to, I was definitely like, whoa, I, it was, it was really overwhelming. We didn't have any help. It was just the two of us. Um, and I was completely depleted. I mean, I, I was not prepared for that kind of lack of sleep. I what did not have my yoga practice. I couldn't really move. I was still like physically recovering because I had a fourth degree tear. And, um, so I, you know, it's like every day I would like barely wake up and, you know, and then and then I'd be wired awake uh, the rest of the time. And and just my energy was completely all over the place and, and completely unbalanced. So, you know, that was my first kind of like key in of like, oh, you know, I need to start taking care of myself in a different way. And how do you fuel your prana and um, how do you contain it? How do you protect yourself in certain areas? How do you give more to get more kind of thing? Um, and that's really what inspired that that whole chapter, which is like tuning into, OK, I'm depleted right now. What do I need to be nourished? You know, what can I do to slow down and, you know, starting to really read your own energy so that you can start to take care of yourself in a much more in, intimate way? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, there's no way you can show up for anyone, you know, if you're if you are that depleted. So it has to be has to be, you know one of the first priorities, maybe the poopy diaper first and then then the prana. But uh, so what did you do to uh, to help yourself move away from depletion? How did you nourish yourself? What are some things you do now to nourish yourself and get your prana going? Prozac. <laughs> one of the things, I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I ended up having pretty severe postpartum anxiety because as I mentioned, you know, I have generalized anxiety disorder. That's just my baseline. Um, I hadn't been on medication since um, my like very early days of eating disorder recovery. So not since I was 21. And when I was around 38, so this is like, you know, eight months after my first son, I was getting frozen in parking lots. I like literally I couldn't manage things. I couldn't manage my own Mm -hmm. schedule. I could barely leave the house with him. Um, and he was eight months at that point, you know, um, where like, you know, my current son was like eight hours old and I'm like at the market, you know, with my second, um, which which showed me that there was something significant going on, um, you know, not to mention it was deep in the pandemic. Right. So we were we were completely isolated. Um, we were also moving from the city of San Francisco to a suburb outside of San Francisco. And it just it came to a head, you know, where I had another breakdown in a in a Home Depot parking lot and like couldn't make my way in the store. I was so overwhelmed and I had been consistently doing therapy, but I I needed to explore going back on antidepressants to see if if that could help bring me back to more of a baseline anxiety. Like, you know, I think people yeah. are are like they have baseline. I'm like kind of in the middle, you know, uh, it's still I'm still anxious, but I'm functioning. Um, and that ended up being a lifesaver for me. I mean, literally, I suddenly could breathe. We were out in public. I like I could start to think again. I mean, the idea for the book came in projects and creativity you know, the the energy, if we we're going back to the prana of it, was just so blocked off because it was like tamped down by all of this fear and anxiety and, you know, so many things going on. It just was like the heavens opened, really. And, you know, all these opportunities started opening for me. I mean, not even like I'm not talking even job opportunities, just like, you know, meeting a friend and, you know, like 
getting to like go to this place, you know, like, you know, having something at a beach and, you know, just things that like I never could, I couldn't have done. I couldn't have done, you know, could barely leave the house as I mentioned. And um, that was the the first step. Uh, and then in addition to that, you know, it's my like, uh, obviously my, my biweekly therapy. Um, I also attend Al-Anon. That's been life-saving for me too. That's for children and friends and families and spouses of alcoholics. Um, and of course, my mat. My mat was always there for me to come back to. Stay tuned for more Mindful Mama podcasts right after this break. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Okay, wow. So this was like, this. you had this catalyst, Home Depot, and it was like a wake-up call to, um, to, to get get the help you needed to to move yeah. things forward and to nourish your nourish your mind. I love the your description of how kind of things open up like that. Um after that, that's really lovely. Um now one of the things you talk about in the yoga parenting that I really like is the idea of, you know, well of course yoga is not just about poses. You write about poses and things like that. But you write also about um you write about um, mantras, and you you had a a definition of mantra which I had never realized before. Do you do you remember it? Maybe I can find it. In, it was like a it was like a, a, a sort of a truth that we say again and again. Something. Yeah, it's the um, the roots of the two words. So manas meaning mind and travas, which is to liberate. So yeah, that's the the belief, and you know that's similar to what we were just saying too, right? The that you're able to liberate your mind from these, you know, um, conditions, conditioning or um, locked in thinking. Yeah. And we have, you know, built in negativity bias. Of course, you know, this is part of human beings is that we, especially when we're in a place where we're vulnerable or we're scared, you know, our, our mind will look for the threat, right? Of course, right? It looks for the negativity. And you, you talk about how, like, when you caught your mind wandering towards scary things, you would work with um, some mantras to kind of help you get back to to a baseline. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, you know, going back to what we were saying, like, obviously, I had a bit of an extreme example because of the postpartum anxiety and, and um, you know, a little bit of the mild postpartum depression. So my my intrusive thoughts were probably a little, you know, more rampant than usual. But there's um, all this research out there. And I, I quote some of it in the book is that intrusive thoughts are actually just a normal part of the human brain, you know, as, as you mentioned, it's just, 
it's probably evolutionary and survival. Um, but, you know, these thoughts where it's like it just flashes into your head of the most extreme thing, you know, that could happen. Often there's violence involved. Sometimes they're sexual in nature. They can be very jarring. So as a new mom, you know, I mean, that's all you have to say, right? New mom, intrusive thoughts. It is it can be horrifying and it feels like, you know, it, it's it's like all of your worst fears are realized, like you won't even be near something, but you're like, it could fall, you know, um, and I won't I don't you know, we'll 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 cut out. I won't even share the ones that I had because I don't want to um, upset anybody. You know, it can be quite triggering. But what I learned, you know, by talking to my team. Um, is just, first of all, how normal they are, that it really is just, you know, the human brain. And like I said, I think it's, you know, I think we're just calibrating the safety. Um, so it's like, you know, yes, okay, this, you know, the book's going to fall, but like that, I think that's just your brain, like, uh, you know, trying to take care of those you love. But for me, the best way that I could anchor myself is rather than going down the rabbit hole of my kids in danger, my kids in danger, my kids in danger, would be to anchor into a thought of something that was happening in the in the now, something that was truly happening in the moment. So, you know, again, like using this example of like the book falling, right? Like if he's sitting next to me and the book is not falling, in my head, I, I say, he's safe. My child is safe. My child mm -hmm. is safe. My child is safe. And it may feel like, you know, you're push-pulling and lassoing your mind the whole day, but it becomes this mantra, you know, where you're literally changing your thought and bringing it into what's actually occurring in the moment. Because in this moment, you know, there's a million possibilities, right? But in this moment, they are safe. We are taken care of. Mm -hmm. And just to kind of anchor into that, I love the, I love a mantra of like safety, right? Because that really yeah. is like, it's like our nervous system is like, oh, there's a threat. There's a threat. And you're not like, okay, I'm safe. We are safe right now. He is safe. I'm safe. Like just reminding ourselves of these things. Uh, you know, sometimes we have to like kind of coax our, our, you know, unconscious part of our brain into like remembering these things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you. I, I really liked that, that mantra. And you also talk about, um, changing your mind and the idea of, um, you tell the story of, Jane Austen, who yeah. repeated the mantra, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I am beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit more about that one? Well, first of all, let's like give a huge shout out to Jane Austen. And if if you're in the Bay Area and you're pregnant, then you probably know of her. She is. <laughs> I call her the queen uh, of the prenatal, uh, prenatal and postnatal community up here in the Bay Area. She calls herself the fairy godmother, uh, which I appreciate. She's a phenomenal teacher. Um, so she was talking about being extremely pregnant. She was in uh, in midwifery at the time, and she went to a yoga class, and she was doing Warrior Two, and she'd been feeling very uncomfortable, and um, her prana had been depleted from the many long nights of um, is it midwifing, midwifing, mid midwifing, and midwifing. Uh, and you know yeah, midwifery, and you know never mind uh, how far along she was in her pregnancy, but she was in Warrior Two position, and she had this. Ooh, this aha moment of like kindness and empowerment. And it was just like, it was like the best she'd felt in a very long time. And it was through the breath and through the shape of her body. And it came to her in words. It came to her as this almost like voice saying, you know, I am beautiful. I am strong. And she repeated it back to herself. And later, you know, Propel now, I think that was like 20 years ago, her kids are, are now in college. She now teaches prenatal postnatal yoga and she empowers other parents that are, you know, sometimes it's the partner, sometimes it's the um, birthing, the birthing, the carrying parent, but she empowers them with similar mantras for them to practice. So that, you know, whether it's like in the asana class leading up to the actual birth or, of course, in the birth itself, if they're giving birth or just those early childhood years, you know, there's many ways to um, have a child. So but she she because of that moment, that was such a clarifying moment for her. That became one of her tools that she uses for all of her students nowadays. I love I love these tools and I love those mantras. You know, are there any other tools like yoga tools that you are using in your family and then maybe your, you know, your family is using as well? Mm. I mean, an another mantra that I think like my husband and I are like saying to each other constantly is it is it's all temporary. It's all temporary. Mm. It's all temporary. Um, you know, which which 
that can facilitate different lines of thinking, right? It's all temporary, can be a bit of a bomb in those moments, you know, B-A-L-M in those moments that are you're feeling overwhelmed and, you know, like you can't get through it. It can also be a really lovely reminder that, you know, we want to be grounded and we want to be present in this moment. Like, you know, watching our our boys, they were taking a bath yesterday and playing really well together. Like it's all temporary in that moment is just for us to like, you know, he he's like, he was one of us, you know, not to mention names, but someone may be watching a basketball game. <laughs> so if I say like, it's all temporary, you know, with my hand on his back, um, then it's an opportunity for the phones to go away and for us to be present. And if someone is, you know, both kids are screaming and needing mama at the same time and I'm feeling split in two, he can put his hand on my back and say, it's all temporary and I can mm-hmm. get grounded and, you know, remember like, okay, this is just a phase right now and um, I got to figure out who who to go to first. That's always hard, as you know, your kids are very close in age. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's all temporary has been a great tool for us. Very helpful for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Just as like that reminder of constant change. So you're just like, yeah. okay, this is all changing. It's all going away. You know, it really refocuses you back on this moment. Right. And if you, then it's like, if it's all changing in a heartbeat, like I can be in this moment, you know, I think that's, I think that's a really helpful mantra. I love that. Um, yeah, that's great. Well, there's so much, I love so much in your book, 34 practices to find more presence and more peace. Um, thank you so okay, much, Sarah. That's what I want to know. I'm like, so much, ooh. So much yeah, apparently so. somebody went through, because it's, you know, it's like, it's 10 chapters. We broke it into 10 things. And I'm like, really? There's 34? So I guess, you know, there's like bonus ones. But yeah, I, I appreciate it. all the tools. <laughs> I, I was just like, I'm going to just put everything I learn in there and everything anyone's ever offered me at any point in my lifetime. Let's put it in the book. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast, for taking your taking that energy, taking that revival energy and channeling it into this into this work. Um, what are you excited about right now? What are you working on? And also, where can people find you? Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. And like, truly, I really don't think this book, I mean, it's it's not even a joke. And, you know, I quote you throughout it. The book wouldn't exist were it not for raising good humans. So I so appreciate everything you do for all of us mindful parents everywhere. Um, I am at a, I'm mostly active on Instagram. I am a little bit on TikTok, uh, but Sarah Ezrin Yoga. And that's also my website, Sarah Ezrin Yoga. Um, and yeah, I mean, right now I'm just working on the launch. It's coming up in two weeks. It's my first book. So it feels like a third baby and all my attention and energy is going into that. Um, I am teaching still, you know, cause I, I love yoga. So I still do some online classes, but really it's just all going into that. And, uh, you know, and then when that wave passes as energy does, you know, I'm hoping for a book number two, but I also, want to savor the quiet on the other side as well. Yeah, it is like having a baby. I I feel it is like a baby. You're now on the third baby, Sarah. Thank yeah. you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you so much, Hunter. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really, really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you getting something out of it. And thank you so much for leaving ratings and reviews. It makes such a big difference to the Mindful Mama podcast. I want to give a shout out to TBA and SC who left a five-star review saying, wonderful, such a great time out for moms to feel understood and heard. Very important information and resources shared for moms who want to be their best self. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that rating and review. So please do leave a rating and review. It makes such a big difference. And um, and we appreciate it. Everyone who works here hard for the Mindful Mama podcast for you here. And I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it. I hope you're going to have a beautiful week. I hope there's some, some yoga and opening and breath and life force energy and all that that goodness. I hope that's all in your week with you and your kids. And I hope that you get to pull out of the challenging moments quick and lean into all the good moments as best you can. And I will be practicing that too, of course, with you. 
I'm looking forward to connecting with you again next week. We have so many wonderful guests coming. So make sure you're subscribed and I will be here for you and with you, my friend. I appreciate you listening and being there for me and for this movement. So wishing you a great week. Take care. Namaste. I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them. and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.